Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching. Where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Now, speaking about teaching you to become your own best coach, today we're going to be talking about giving you a path, a path to follow, a self-coached, self-directed, neuroplastic Path of Emotional Liberation. You got all that? You want, to, you want to take a second and write that down? Self-coached, self-directed, emotional liberation using neuroplasticity. Don't let that word frighten you. We're going to get into that. I'm going to make it very simple. And I'm going to break today's talk down into three basic parts. Habits, insecurity, and control. And with that, we're going to use these concepts to sculpt out a path for you to follow, that if you get on that path and if you follow it, you're just about guaranteed to liberate yourself from the struggle you, the struggles that you face. So let's begin with habits. Now, what's a habit? Well, it's anything that gets repeated. And if it's repeated often enough, that information gets stored in an area of the brain called the basal ganglia. And if there's enough habit strength that becomes a new habit. And what I mean by a new habit in the brain, in the basal ganglia, is what we call a neural pathway. Think of it as a path in the woods. Let's say you, you have a, a path that you follow every day to get your morning paper. And you walk through the woods and you, every, you know, after a few weeks, a few months, the weeds don't grow there anymore because now it's become a path. And then you get married, and you and your partner walk the path, the path becomes a little wider. Then you have children, and the whole family walks the path, and the path gets wider still, and more entrenched and etched into the ground. And the same thing happens in our brain, only it's not a, a path through the woods. It's a neural pathway. And the neural pathway gets established with repetitive behavior. Now, there are good paths, good habits, and there are bad habits. You know, what's a good habit? Well, obviously, like tying your shoe, for example, parallel parking. I remember when I was a kid, I remember, I literally remember trying the frustration of trying to do that figure eight knot in your in your shoe. And But now I can tie my shoe while I talk to you. It's, it's, uh, it's a no-brainer, as they say, because essentially, habits now being governed by the basal ganglia being governed by that more primitive part of our brain, don't require any cognition. They don't require us to think about anymore. Do I loop this over and do I push this this uh, shoelace through here? No, no, we don't, we don't think about it. It's become less than conscious, almost automatic. Now, that's a behavioral habit, but we're also talking about psychological habits, habits that can ruin and rule your life. Patterns that have become habituated. Patterns of anxiety, depression, temper, lethargy. 
you know, these these are negative habits that have become somewhat less than conscious. We're not deciding to become anxious or depressed. But today we're going to talk about the process of unlearning, whether it be anxiety, depression, emotional struggle, anger management, etc., etc. And if you want to go more in depth, I'm going to give you an outline today that you can follow right after this podcast. You get right on that path and you're going to have a path to follow. And if you want to get more specific and more in depth and understand this concept, I urge you to take a look at my book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. And you'll see that developing a path, a positive path, reframing the way you live your life and think your life, the way you change both you, your behavior, and the anatomy of your brain is not that complex, not what you understand the fundamental ingredients that are necessary for change. Yes, we humans, we're wired to form habits. We're creatures of habits. Habits make us more efficient. But as you will see, they also can be our demise when it comes to psychological suffering. I'm sure that evolutionary processes favored habit formation. You know, it's why our brains form the way they did. They protect us. The positive habits, if you look both ways before you cross the street, you know, it becomes so habituated that, you know, you don't have to worry too much about being hit by a taxi cab. Speaking of crossing the street, I've often wondered about squirrels. You see them mushed on the road. Not all squirrels, but some squirrels. Now, maybe what happens is that the squirrels that don't get smushed are the squirrels that have had one or two or three or four encounters and almost got nipped or had a bit of their tail clipped off, but that repetitive behavior has instilled in them a habit of looking both ways. <laughs> I don't know if they do, but maybe the next time you drive down the street, see if you see a squirrel on the side of the road and the little head goes left and right. Do they have a habit of looking both ways? If so, they're more apt to survive. So some habits really protect us. And habits by their very nature don't require much thinking. The habits in our brain are stored in the basal ganglia, which is a more primitive part of the brain. And once stored in the basal ganglia, a habit doesn't require much cognition. We don't have to think about jumping out of the way of a taxi cab. We just jump because we've been patterned to know that something that's careening down the road at 100 miles an hour is dangerous. And we jump out of the way, unlike a mushed squirrel. But we're talking specifically today about psychological habits, thinking habits that have become automatic, automatic with a minimum of consciousness. You know, we don't decide to get depressed. We don't decide to get anxious or we don't decide to lose our temper. These just feel like knee-jerk reactions to life because they're patterns, patterns of behavior. And it's hard to break a pattern. I mean, I know if I I shave, and I know I have a beard, I do shave. If I were to shave with my left hand, I'd really have to think about it. When I shave with my right hand, there's no thought process. I could be thinking about anything. I could be talking to you right now and shaving at this. You don't know if I'm shaving. I could be shaving right now talking to you because it is so automatic and such a habit that my basal ganglia is allowing me to use this habit to serve me. 
So what are the psychological habits that hurt us? Well, you know what they are. That's anything that causes duress, stress, anxiety, depression, moodiness, all that stuff. Those are the habits that hurt us, which we'll get into in a minute. But these are habits of insecurity. But before we get into that, let me let's let's discuss neuroplasticity because I want I don't want this to become an, a daunting concept that makes you flee from this concept. I want you to embrace it. I want you to realize that neuroplasticity is in fact your friend. Now, what is neuroplasticity? Well, very simply put, it's the brain's ability to change throughout your life, not just when you are young and growing and your brain is formed, throughout your life. We have the ability, through learning, to change the anatomy of our brain. Does that sound far-fetched to you? It's not hyperbole. It really isn't. A famous study was done in London with the, the little black taxi cabs. And in order to get a license to drive one of those cabs, you have to learn, and this is not an exaggeration, over 20,000 landmarks, streets, sections. It takes a couple of years to get that license. It's very valued. And what they did in the study is they, uh, they took some images of the brains of those that just started out. Then they waited two more years, took another image. What do you think they found? Well, lo and behold, they found that a section of the brain the, in the hippocampus the navigation part of your brain actually expanded. It grew. Now, they also, as a control kind of study, they also did the same thing with bus drivers. And after two years, they retook the uh, image of the bus drivers, and nothing changed for the bus drivers. Their hippocampus remained yeah, the same. Why? Well, because bus drivers do the same route every day. No thinking involved. No navigating no challenges. So the, the little black taxi cabs and their drivers had to navigate, had to think, had to figure out, had to challenge. They challenged their brain and the learning that took place reshaped a section of the brain. Now, there's where the hope comes in for you. Not only can you change the way you think, but you can do it from the inside out, anatomically, by changing the shape of your brain, you can begin to change the habits of your life. That should impress you. It, it should encourage you. Because even though habits that are put down early in life, and they're difficult to break, you know, when you learn a language early in life, you know, it stays with you. If you learn two languages, it stays with you. It's very hard to learn new languages or play new instruments or do all this stuff as an adult. I mean, I don't know too much about piano playing, but I would imagine if you start early enough, your brain is so malleable, especially malleable in our younger years, that it is imprinted much more emphatically in those younger years. And not that it can't be imprinted in our later years, but it takes more endurance, more practice, more patience. So if you want to change, or if you want to play the piano, you need a path to follow. If on that path, you challenge yourself and you learn a more adaptive way to live, to think, and you do this in a determined fashion over time, then what happens? Well, first, 
what happens is that the new path, if it is in direct opposition to the destructive path that is within you, say a destructive path of self-loathing or low self-esteem or anxious thinking. So if the new path is a much more wholesome, wholesome, excuse me, a much more wholesome path, then what happens is that you begin to not continue to reinforce the destructive path and the new path begins to become imprinted. A new path through the woods begins. A new path in life begins. Now it does take time and you don't have to wait until the path is a super highway. I mean, little by little, just, just being on that new path, that path of unlearning the negativity and the biases and the distortions of the path, that path begins to become neutralized. And you begin to become more objectively aware of who and what you are, your life, the choices you make, the thoughts you have. And as I said earlier, it's, it's really the habits of insecurity that we're after here. And that habit of insecurity is what we're trying to neutralize. Because insecurity is a catalyst. Insecurity is the root of why you're suffering today or struggling or not in a position to really embrace your life to its fullest. And insecurity has a long tail. It's, it's, not, it's not an easy habit to break away from, but it is a habit. And that's the one thing you should start to hear over and over again in this, in this podcast today. And that's that habits are learned and habits can be unlearned. Very, very important. So let's take a habit of insecurity. All right. So insecurity goes way back. We're vulnerable creatures, especially a child. A child grows up totally dependent on parents. And every child experiences pain, separation, difficulties, challenges, illnesses. We are vulnerable. At that young age, we have less armament to protect us. We are less formidable. So that habit of insecurity gets really rooted very deep down in our basal ganglia. It is resistant to change, no doubt. And most habits that are inculcated early in our development are resistant to change. And that's why a lot of times people just give up. People come into therapy expecting abracadabra. And when they don't get the magical outcome or the solution to their problem. You know, the truth doesn't always set you free because these patterns are there. I mean, you can understand where the patterns come from and still not be free. It's like a cigarette smoker. Do you think a cigarette sm smoker needs to know why they took the first cigarette? No, it's not going to break the habit. Understanding why you took that first cigarette is going to do nothing for the habit. And that's why, and I, and I hate to say this, but I, I, I do not, uh, I'm not a big fan of dissecting your life and going back retrospectively. Yeah, it can help to amplify what you're going through today. But I'm not a big fan of spending years and years, you know, whether your potty training was too strict or too lenient, you know, that kind of thing. Because all of that stuff is available in the present. All of those habits of thinking 
and perception are now in the moment. We are the outcome, the aggregate of all of those previous experiences. That's why, like a cigarette smoker, that's why you need to look at your habit today and ask, how can I break this habit? And in my parlance, how do I unlearn this habit? So that's where we want to get to. How do we unlearn what puts us in harm's way? Well, we have to understand what insecurity does, what the habit of insecurity does. See, that's just the beginning. It, it, the insecurity habit is really a, a two-part habit. There's insecurity. And since being vulnerable is an intolerable state of affairs, no one likes to be in a chronic state of vulnerability. It's it's really something that we, in all of our efforts, try to avoid. So when we're feeling vulnerable, instinctually, we try to feel less vulnerable. I've always been fascinated by the Morrow reflex. In the first few hours of birth, if you take a, an infant that's just been born and hold them up and then kind of drop your hands rapidly with the infant in it, not dropping the infant, the the arms and legs both come in like a clasping motion. And there are those that speculate that that has to do with our primal ancestry where where. At one point, holding on to a mother leaping in the trees that our primate ancestral heritage uh, is manifested in that reflex that baby, when it feels it's falling, clings to the mother. That, that reflex goes away after a few hours. It's there just at a blink and it's gone. But we have vestiges of this in our psyche. And I, I guess what I'm saying is that we have instinctual protective needs not to feel vulnerable. And it is something that we abhor. No one likes to feel vulnerable. No one likes to feel insecure. So the fact is that when we feel insecure slash vulnerable, we do something about it. And what do we do? Well, we develop strategies of control. We try to get control over our feelings of vulnerability. And this begins very young. So let's say a child who is being bullied at school or is tormented at home with unloving parents, well, maybe that child will begin to, to worry. You know, Why is that child worrying? Well, they're trying to figure out, what if Johnny comes and, and wants to punch me in the nose? What if mommy comes home and yells at me? You know, the child begins to worry to try to anticipate what might happen and how to be protected. So you see, Worry, which happens to be the quintessential controlling strategies. There are others. Worrying is a form of control instigated by insecurity. Another form would be just withdrawal, you know, that turtle shell. We get into that turtle shell. We, we tend to withdraw from life when we feel threatened or insecure. Another controlling strategy might be hostility. We push people away to feel more in control. How about denial? You know, we don't face our problems. We tend to turn away from them because we try to feel more in control. It makes us feel less vulnerable. Okay, so there's the format now. We are creatures of habit. We are also creatures that have evolved with insecurity because of the imperfect, vulnerable nature of our development. And then because of that insecurity, we have developed controlling strategies. So now you may ask, 
Well, what's so bad about controlling strategies? If it makes you feel less vulnerable, if it makes you feel that you're going to just be okay and not be walloped by life, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with it. It's not natural. You have to expend energy, worrying, fretting, just trying to protect yourself from, you know, Mark Twain said, you know, I've worried about many things in my life, most of which have never happened. So it stresses us to control life. And I should mention, it's not so much controlling life, because there's good control, of course, wearing a seatbelt, brushing your teeth, that kind of stuff. But it's the over-control, the bad control, that requires effort. It's not natural. It requires effort and stressful effort. It's stressful to worry, to be hostile, to have to retreat. You see, so what happens is that the stress of trying to over-control life, it can work for a while. It can, it can get us through most situations, but eventually, you know, things begin to falter. Our strategies don't seem to protect us anymore. We, we start to become more and more worrisome. The habit itself begins to grow. And with the worrying comes more anxiety, more fear, more dread. So don't think that controlling life is the answer. In fact, from a self-coaching standpoint, I think it's the problem. The more we try to over-control life, the more we stress ourselves. And in time, ultimately, that controlling juggle begins to falter. And when it falters, that's when we have symptoms. When our controlling strategies no more give us the, the seemingly protection that we think it does, and we now feel even more vulnerable because our controlling strategies aren't helping us. So now what? And that's where you break down. Anxiety, depression, stress, panic. Okay, so there it is. So now we have a paradigm. We have the fact that we are habit-making creatures, the fact that insecurity is the root and that controlling life is what grows from that root. We try to compensate the vulnerability of insecurity by trying to over-control life. And we are living in a more or less artificial way. We're not living naturally, spontaneously. We're either living in the past or the future. Because when you're present, truly present, you're, you're not going to be anxious or depressed. You know, anxiety, it lives in the future. It's what if, what if, what if. Depression oftentimes has to do with, you know, retrospective regret. But being present, that requires a leap of faith. You have to trust that you'll be okay. And that's ultimately the end game is self-trust. The more self-trust you have, the more you can let go of those defensive, over-controlling strategies. So I mentioned in the beginning, this is a self-coached, self-directed, neuroplastic way to develop a new path in life. And that requires becoming more conscious. Since habits, by their very nature, are less than conscious, sometimes quite reflexive, knee-jerk kind of situations, we need to become more conscious. And you need to become more conscious of how you are reinforcing the habits of insecurity that lead to the stressful life that you've been living. Look at it this way. Imagine that you have a patio and you go out on your patio and you have your paper. Again, a newspaper. I know millennials go out with their iPads. It's not even the millennials anymore. What is it? Gen Z or something. 
So you go out on the on the patio with your, all right, go out with your iPad. It's okay. And you're sitting there in the lounge chair and it's a nice sunny day and you see a pigeon there and you say, oh, cute little guy. You throw him a few crumbs of your bagel and you go back inside. Tomorrow you go out again. It's the next day. And it's still bright and sunny out. And your, your buddy's there and he's, he brought another buddy along and you're thrilled. You throw some more crumbs. And then the third day, guess what happens? Well, a few more buddies show up. By the end of the week, you can't get on your patio. It's filled with pigeons and they're flying around and they're doing their, their job all over your patio. And you can't even get a, I'll tell you. So what do you do? So you call me up and you say, Hey, what do I do about these pigeons? And I'm going to tell you right now, well, you got to stop feeding those damn pigeons. And if you don't stop feeding the pigeons, well, and that's what, that's what unlearning emotional struggle is all about. You've got to stop feeding the habits of insecurity and control. Ah, so there's the answer. Yes. Okay. Answer. Yes. But the application of it is where I need to put you right now. So you've got a path laid out in front of you. And the path says, okay, I understand the habit nature of insecurities. I understand that I've been feeding this habit and reinforcing it like the pigeons. So how do I stop? Wow, there's the question. There's the $64,000 question. So how do I stop? Here's what you do. Recognize that there are three tip-offs to that which keeps the ball rolling when it comes to insecurity and struggle. And the three are doubts, fears, and negativity. Now, those are the three that you, I want you to begin to get in touch with. This is where I need you to realize that consciousness needs to come in. I call it active mind. Typically, with doubts, fears, and negativity. Typically, there is a visceral response. So you, you know, you have a tip off that you, you know, you feel that little knot in your stomach. You feel you tensing up and stuff like that. So, so it's not like you have to be vigilant twenty-four hours a day, but be particularly vigilant when you feel that little bit of stress and tension, that knot in your stomach. Be particularly vigilant as to whether what's going through your mind is a doubt, a fear, or a negative. Because those are the thoughts generated by insecurity. Those are the thoughts that continue to reinforce the habit. And that habit is quite reflexive. So there's your path. You need to figure out how to stop feeding the pigeons. And you need to do this diligently over time. And again, no one knows how long it takes to break a habit. This is unique. Some habits are broken quickly. Some are much more difficult to extinguish. But we want to neutralize the habits of insecurity and reframe the way we think about life. And in order to do that, you need discipline. You need to encourage yourself to deal with the objective truth of life, not the subjective distortions of insecurity. So get on that path and start to become more vigilant, more active mind, and ask yourself, every time you feel one of those doubts, fears, or negatives percolating up, do I have a choice? And you do. It may feel like you don't have a choice. And that's that's what you know reflexive patterns are about. That's what habits are about. You feel you don't have a choice. You see, you feel victimized. 
by your habits, but you do. So instead of worrying about tomorrow's interview with the boss, ask yourself, what would happen if I don't worry? Would the world end? Is it going to change anything? See, that's the objective reality. Now, it takes a leap of faith to let that go. I understand that. And that habit is strong. It could be very strong. You know, that anticipatory anxiety of wanting to feel safe. But the habits of control don't really make you feel safe. They may temporarily give you a buy. But to really feel safe, you have to handle life. And you have to handle life directly, objectively, and from a healthy mind. Not a distorted mind habituated by patterns of insecurity. You know, if you're interested in going more deeply into this, and if you want, drop me an, e drop me an email at uh, selfcoachinghelp, one word, at aol.com, and let me know. Uh, I'd be glad to kind of lay things out a little bit more specifically and get into the details from my book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, those four steps that are in the book. Uh, I'll be glad to take it step by step. If you're interested, let me know. But Today's podcast was just to try to get you to understand that the path to liberation is a deliberate path of application of not being victimized by your habits. All habits are learned. All habits can be unlearned. If you're anxious, yeah, and you're right, I do treat anxiety and depression as habits of insecurity, especially the mild and moderate forms. If you're on medication, medication can be a therapy facilitator. It could make this process of objectifying and standing tall and disciplined a lot easier. So sometimes it's important to be balanced. Medication can help you with that. But as you become stronger and more resilient and you stop the motor, you stop the habits that are stressing you and depleting you, because especially with anxiety and depression, through the stress of these, these experiences, you do become depleted and you're not balanced. And your homeostatic mechanisms can't keep you in balance. So the medication serves a purpose. For now, realize you need to carve out a new path. You need to realize the plasticity of your mind, of your brain, and recognize it's up to you. You need to reshape your brain. It's going to take practice over time. And it's a process. Don't don't worry about how long it's going to take. This is an incremental process. If you stay with it, you'll see incremental results. And if you stay with it long enough, you'll finally begin to understand that what was being dictated to you in your insecurity or your insecure-driven world was, in fact, just nothing more than the habits laid down earlier by insecurity. So I hope, I hope I've given you just at least an idea that you aren't powerless. You don't need to be a victim. You need a path. And you need to know how to chip away at those negative habits, the destructive habits of insecurity and control. And then it's a matter of application over time, bit by bit, with patience. Stop feeding your pigeons, okay? And listen, visit my website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn more about my self-coaching philosophy. And until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you are not powerless. And remember, everything's hard, 
until you make it simple. So join me every week. And how about we make it simple together? Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on and fight. Follow your heart.